My name is John Belton. I'm a fitness trainer, a performance coach, and the owner of Number 17 Personal Training. And this is my podcast about success. Because everyone loves a success story, and everyone sees success differently. In fact, I put a poll up on my Instagram stories recently, and while lots of people rated money as a measure of success, more, interestingly, put importance on the health of their personal relationships. So in this series, I want to chat with people who have a tale to tell about their successful achievements, how they got where they are in life, how they set goals, and how they remain accountable and motivated. For this podcast, I want to introduce my friend, journalist, marketeer, and ideas merchant, Melanie Morris. Thank you very much, John, and thank you very much for inviting me to be on your first podcast. Um, But because the podcast is your podcast and all about success, I think it's far more interesting to hear about you. So I'm going to ask the questions today and you're going to do the answering, okay? That sounds good. (laughs) Okay. Um, Right. So I suppose let's start with the crux of the whole thing, and that is success stories. So... Obviously, a definition of success is a completely different thing to each individual. What is your definition of success? So my definition of success changes at different stages in my life, but it has always had one key trend that followed, and that was my fitness. Uh, Success for me is constantly adapting, constantly improving, and constantly performing better um, in any sort of sport, whatever that is. Obviously, it will come to a stage in my life where that won't be the case, but the trend has always been around sport and fitness, so that is mm. my is my kind of go to barometer of where I am. And then I find that what rolls out from that is if if I'm not performing well in my training or in competition, then I know it's because of something else that's going on in my life, whether it's too much work stress or not enough recovery or something else like that. Um, success then is generally based on where my current life status is, what sort of goals I want to get to, whether it's a business goal or whether it's a you know building my first house type scenario, I then start putting them in, in place around it. But the big one and the most important thing for me is keeping an eye on my fitness and health around that. So is basically your fitness almost like your graph or your, your mileometer kind of thing. So if something else isn't working in your life, so say the house that you wanted to build isn't happening, it will have a subsequent knock-on effect to your training. Or your performance. So you know you need to fix something. Exactly. And that's the beauty. It's a barometer of where I am. It's how healthy are you? And you can trick yourself into saying, you know what, I'm sleeping enough or I'm eating enough or no, I'm not getting overwhelmed by anything. But once you get in there and you do some testing fitness wise, very, very quickly you find out where you actually are. So the proof of the pudding is in the performance. In the performance. Okie doke. Okay. Well, that's probably, it's an interesting way of looking at things and it's probably maybe something we haven't looked at before. But let's start at the very beginning, John, and um, tell me about how you got into what you do. What's what's your life story? Uh, my life story. So I grew up in a small village called Randwood out in County Wicklow. Very, I had a great childhood, great upbringing in the country and always knew that I wanted something a little bit different. A lot of my friends and family were in you know, different industries, whether it was carpentry or mechanics, etc. And I never found myself belonging there. It was really once I started into, well, I suppose with TV and with magazines and looking at what was going on from a training point of view, I had this fascination with exercise, fascination with performance and also being in good shape. That was something I, I looked at. And although it was a strange thing for a country lad to be interested in, it pulled me really, really quickly away from all those other industries. But your family are very sporty and athletic, aren't they? Yeah, they are. My uh, my mum 
played in uh, inter-county football for a long time in Camogie. My dad now is turning 70 and he wants to break a four-hour uh, four marathon. So they, the fitness and exercise has been a huge part of my life. Sorry, hang on. Say that about your father again. Yeah, he's turning... He's, well, he's, got, he's 69 at the moment. He wants to break a four-hour marathon next month. And, oh, my God. Yeah. And he will break it. He's he's probably going to set an Irish 50-kilometre record as well. So he's still running those distances? He's still running big distances, yeah. He hasn't ran past the marathon distance yet, but that's his first goal, and then he's going to look at the 50k after that. He's going to tackle that. Oh, my God. So it really isn't a huge surprise that you got into the business that you're in? It's not a huge surprise that I got in, and then two of my brothers got in as well. So... Um, yeah, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> but uh, so how did you start? You know, what was your, what were your first steps? Where did you train? So my very first steps were actually in a stable down the back of my mum and dad's house where I had a rope hanging from the rafters, which looked very strange. <laughs> um, and I used to climb the rope and I had a punch bag, which I used to, you know. So what age were you at this stage? Uh, it's probably about 12. Okay. It was 12, 13, starting into secondary school. Right. I also, I don't know if you're familiar with like an aga cooker. They've yeah. got two big heavy flaps that lift up and down on the yeah. top. I tied ropes around them and launch them around something else and make a little pulley for like tricep push then. So that was my first piece of uh, equipment and that did I you made. Know, I mean, there wasn't YouTube at that stage. No. So how did YouTube. you know what you were doing? The internet. Or did you? Uh, I, I'm sure I saw it on a TV somewhere. I right. didn't know what I was doing, of course, and I probably made a hames of myself in many different ways and Kevin who was my guinea pig at the time your um, younger brother my younger brother Kevin <laughs> I have a strong memory of uh, trying to do a handstand in the shed one time and asking him to spot me and which means you know, hold my legs as yeah. I kick up and as I kicked up I managed to kick him in the nose and bust his nose open so Kevin's always been the guinea pig and been part of that journey just as well he's still part of your business now though I would be lost with it's him pay off yes. time yeah. um, so okay you were in a shed in Wicklow, doing all of these ridiculous things, which we'll probably get, we're going to get to later because mm-hmm. in a parallel universe, that's how CrossFit kind of yeah, started it, as well, isn't it? Ironically, yes, it is. That's, it was right down that alley of kind of industrial, industrial type uh, gyms with yeah. basic equipment and lifting stones, lifting weights, climbing ropes. And that, you know, pulled me in the CrossFit direction, you know, and many years down the road yeah. So you were doing this and at this stage, you know, 12, 13, did, did you think you were going to work in fitness at that stage? I didn't see how I could work in fitness. I definitely wanted to, mm. but my... I suppose my family and anyone I would have spoken to about that at the t- at the time, you know, it wasn't an industry that people made any money in. Uh, so, you know, it, it was kind of, I had no idea how I would, would ever actually get established or get into it, but I always had a love for it. Um, you know, and even my mum was my GAA coach, of course. So she was the, the manager and screaming on the sidelines at us. And we were always a big part of that team, which I loved, loved the coaching piece to that and loved being part of it. So, um, I suppose from a very early age, I knew I wanted to do it, but I didn't know how I was going to get into it. But I kind of always knew I would. Mm. You went the conventional PT coach kind of route first, didn't you? Well, when I was 16, I actually started working in Westwood uh, for work experience. I, you know, spent some time in the gym and they gave me a part-time job as a gym reception guy. So my job was actually very interesting, membership retention. So I used to call people, uh, you know, if they joined the gym to get them booked in for their program Mm -hmm. and... Little did I know, that actually gave me a great insight into why people weren't coming to the gym. Oh, that's clever. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I probably had 2,000 phone calls or more with people from South County Dublin who were not going to the gym because they lacked <laughs> motivation. And it was great market research for me back then when I was 16. And, you know, everyone, I noticed a trend, everyone wanted to train the good-looking girl in the gym or the fit guy in the gym or the 
marathon runner, but the people who weren't coming to the gym were the people who I was getting to talk to all the time. So I got to understand a lot about them, you know, as far as their what their fears were, you know, what they were worried about, why they lacked motivation. And, you know, some of them would come in and I'd book them in for a training program and follow up with them. And then, you know, a couple of years down the road, I'm I'm really still seeing that same trend there. And, you know, that's the clientele that come to my business now. Because humans are humans and we're not really going to change. No, we're going, you know, the same trends are all there. The same fears are there. The same worries are there. So uh, so what's the biggest excuse you hear? <laughs> and the biggest excuse I hear is that I'm not fit enough to exercise. Okay. You know, or I'm Which is the, I'm going to have to get a pedicure before I have a pedicure. Here, I've got I to go to imagine. the gym before I go to the gym. Exactly, yes. I would imagine it's something similar to the pedicure piece. <laughs> so um, that's really interesting. So that's the biggest excuse. And you hear that, you've, you were hearing that 20 years ago? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And people who weren't fit enough. And, you know, it is an intimidating environment. And you walk in, this, in up the steps into a gym mm. and you see all these fit people and you you don't feel like you belong there. I mean, we all, sorry, we all in the industry realize that the people, the fit people who are on the machines, et cetera, they don't care or look at anyone else because we're, mm. we're all so self-obsessed that we don't look at anyone else, but, but, you know, worry about our own pace or whatever else it is. But yeah, that, it is an in- intimidating environment and it's still something that people definitely, you know, it stops them in their tracks and prevents them moving forward, which is sad. Uh, do you think social media, I know social media has many things against it, but do you think social media has... I don't know, opened up this idea a little bit more that, you you know, anyone is welcome at a gym. 100%, yes. Social media has loads of definite, you know, resp- things it's responsible for that I'm not happy with. But yeah. one big thing is it's opened the doors up. It's given us, you know, we see these great success stories about people who are losing huge amounts of weight, you know, people who are missing limbs and getting back into the gym. Mm. And it's really, really inspiring. And it definitely helps people. I had a great conversation with a new client today who came in. He's only 25 and he's lost, um, you know, he wants, sorry, he needs to lose about five stone. He came in to talk to me today and the guy was trembling with that. And he said that his motivation came from seeing something online. Wow. And it just spurred him into change. Well, it's interesting because I think in 2019, the inspiring things that you see on social media, the transformation pictures that inspire you are the people that look like humans, not look not necessarily that look like human washboards. Oh, no, I get you know, it's people 100%. that have made real progress. Yeah, and, and you know, that's something that I'm, I've always been conscious of. That, you know, I'm a five foot eight on a good day, regular enough build sort of a guy. So when I go into companies to talk to them or meet clients there, I was like, oh, some of the feedback is I thought he would be bigger. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this kind of Johnny Bravo image that I think is starting to go now of the big muscle bound guy and that's what a personal trainer is. And, you know, and that's what fitness is, which obviously is not the case. So I think, um, you know, people are definitely getting more and more inspired by real humans who still have some stretch marks or still have some loose skin or still have whatever aches and pains or can't, you know, touch their toes, yeah. but are still getting out there and improving on themselves. And that's, you know, if I was to sort of say, who's my ideal client? It's anyone that wants to be better, get fitter, get stronger, be happier. That's my, that's a perfect client. Once that want is there. I want to work with you. Cool. Let's get back to your story. So you worked in a few different gyms, you know, both in, in general and in PT, p- yeah. personal training. You started your own business, number 17, in? 2011. So that, how old were you when you did that? I was 26. That's a huge jump yeah. for a 26-year-old. What gave you the courage to do that? Two things. Uh, 
first was I forced myself into it by leaving the other job I was in. I had no plan. I just left one day. I realised I was quite unhappy and said, that's it, I'm done. Walked out the door. I had a huge client base that followed me and they were very, very supportive. Um, a lot of them are also very successful business people who were able to give me some advice around, you know, don't be afraid, go for it. And then the big thing was that I got a really good deal on a, yeah, on a, on a property that... I could get a good rent in, get established, and it took all the fear out of it. So that was probably my first encounter with fear as such, like proper fear of, oh my God, I'm in the real world here and I have to pay rent. And if you'd won learning from that that time? Uh, well, I think the biggest thing I learned was to turn off my Facebook notifications and stop reading about the recession, which was we were in the midst of at the time, because... You know, the business was thriving, but I was hearing all these negative stories and I, went, and I was starting to read into that and started to get pulled into that, uh, you know, and then that worry and anxiety around, yeah. oh my God, I should be traveling with like all my friends on Facebook that kicked in. Uh, so I stopped and I never really listened to the news or read newspapers. I said, you know what, if something big's going to happen, I'll hear it or I'll see it or I'll be thrown out my ear. But all I can do is worry about, you know, the people around me, make sure I'm giving the 100% of my energy to every client and make sure my trainers are doing the same and that I try and improve the business. And that was all I could control. So control the controllables. Because your reality was actually quite good. Really good. Yeah. But so you hit the ground running with number 17. I did. And it's been running pretty fast and, and gathering more momentum, getting faster ever since. So tell us a little bit about the growth of the business in the last maybe eight years. So we've gone from working. So we started out, I bought... I think it was four rubber mats. I bought towels from Arnott's and I bought four kettlebells and I laid them out in this Georgian basement and started training my clients who came in and went, oh my God, the place is amazing, which it clearly wasn't. We had one shower. Um, very, very quickly, I needed to get more equipment. So as people paid me, I bought more equipment, bought my first rower, which I still have. Um, we should explain it's all personal training, one-on-ones as you do. All one-to-one. Yeah. All one-to-one, yeah. So uh, the business grew very quickly and I had to take on another trainer. And then I had to take on another. And now we're up to, you know, in 2000 and I'm going to say the end of 2015, we had really outgrown the space. We took the basement next door as well. We'd outgrown both of them. So we moved to a new space on Upper Hatch Street. So uh, where are you now? Upper Hatch Street. We're in the vaults, um, which I spoke to someone today and he said, is that at the back of where the pods used to be? Which is, it always gives me a good guide as to what someone's age is if they say that. And then other people say the Lewis. Yes, and the <laughs> younger people say, is that beside Cafe Nero? So uh, there's a balance. Yes, yeah, so uh, we're up there now and we have uh, nine full time, it's full and part time coaches. And then we have another 11 coaches that work in a corporate sector for us as well. So explain the corporate work that you do. Most of my clients are actually based in the corporate, in a kind of high firing kind of corporate sector where mm. they're directors of companies or partners in companies or, you know, they run their own businesses. So a lot of my clients are what we call corporate athletes, i.e. the comparison of working with a national level endurance athlete is, you know, they need to hydrate, they need to stay injury free, they need to look after their goals, they look after their mental health and they have to look after their food to perform at the you know top of their game. And it's exact same for people in the corporate world. And this is a conversation I constantly have with my clients. So a lot of our clients are realizing that. And I think that's why in 2011 and 12, when things were really slow, people prioritized their health. They went, you know what, if I want to survive here, I have to be the best version of myself I can mm. be. So that has kind of grown out now where we actually go into companies and we will do wellness initiatives in the company where we talk about stress management and we do, you know, all sorts of different assessments on health and well-being. And we also run classes in uh, six different companies around town. So they're group classes. Group classes, yeah. And then group lectures. Group lectures, group classes. 
uh, we do wellness like a wellness week we kind of take over the management of that all that sort of stuff and then you'll also do one-on-ones one-on-one Generally, we try to keep that in in number 17, but we do it in-house as well if they have facilities. Great. So, I mean, the the world of personal training and coaching and everything else, it's such a crowded space. Mm -hmm. So what do you think your and number 17's USP is? We stayed with personal training. I see so many places that are personal training and boot camp and TRX. And we just stayed with personal training. That's what we do. I did try to kind of get into classes before. I'm not a classes instructor and uh, we, you know, we ran classes in the space and we still run a little bit of that. But we, what we do best is one-to-one PT and we're very, very results driven. So uh, we stuck to what we do and we just do it the best we can every single day. So while all of this was going on and while you were building your business, can you tell us a little bit about the work you were doing at CrossFit? Because, you know, obviously ropes in, you know, sheds aside, you were a very early adopter to CrossFit. Yeah, so in about 2008, a friend of mine put me onto CrossFit. We were looking at a video of uh, a CrossFit workout called Fran, a couple of people doing it, and I went, okay, now I love this because as much as I liked weight training, you know, I came from a competitive background of cross-country running, playing football, and, you know, winning things. Mm. It's hard to win doing weights. So um, the prospect of lifting weights for time and, you know, winning (laughs) really drew me in. So we kind of went down the CrossFit rabbit hole, which uh, went. we went on to a course, I think, in 2008 in Bath and learned a little bit about it. And uh, in 2009, I did a CrossFit weightlifting cert in Northern Ireland. And the guy who ran that at the time asked me if I'd like to work with him. So we actually went out to myself and a friend, went to California in 2010, and we trained with them a little bit. And from there on, I started to work for CrossFit weightlifting and all the European and Middle Eastern certs. So, um, yeah, I, I ended up leading the weightlifting certs for CrossFit for nearly six years, or nearly seven years, six and a half years. Well, that must have been a huge drain of energy and t- and travel and time. It was in a, it was an amazing experience. Mm. It was a great opportunity. I got to see a huge amount of the world. Um, I met amazing people. I learned a massive amount from great coaches. But it became hard. I was doing five or six weekends in a row. Wow. Leaving the gym Friday at lunchtime to grab a flight, to be in the gym all weekend, to grab a flight Sunday night, back in the gym Monday morning. And very quickly that kind of wore me down then. But interestingly, I suppose, you know, in terms of business, you obviously have to make decisions all along. Yeah, a difficult one, but I had to make the decision to to call it a day. So I finished up with the CrossFit weightlifting crew and then I kind of stayed on for a while to help them create their level two cert. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, you know, we put the level two cert together and then I kind of finished up with them. We still have a great, great relationship with the Bergeners and all that. And a lot of the training that you still do is still competitive. So you are competing against a kettlebell, whether you're doing it in CrossFit style or number 17 exactly, style. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, my, the number 17 way or training system essentially has evolved from you know, pieces of bodybuilding, pieces of powerlifting, pieces of CrossFit, pieces of endurance stuff. And then, you know, meeting the clients, seeing what their goals are and trying to get the right dose response for them from all of that. So, yeah, there's still a CrossFit element to what I do today, definitely. Brilliant. Um, Moving on a little bit, can we talk about goal setting? Because obviously that's at the core of success. Um, How do you set goals? So I'm actually really, really bad when it comes to goals, no I, I have to have goals. If I don't have a goal that I see every single day, I get pulled into just working. So I realize the importance of my goals when I set up my business. 
And I went, right, I can't just go training people day to day and forget about it. There has to be a purpose to everything I'm doing. So for me, when it comes to goals, I need to say, I need to have something that's very, very tangible in the short term. I need to have big picture goals as well. The big picture goals will generally dictate what the small goals then are. Obviously, we break it into little micro chunks. Mm. And I need to have goals for myself for training, myself for education, and then for my business financially and for my business in actual growth, as in equipment or spaces. And then I need to have other goals outside of learning new skills. Do you document these goals in a notebook? Do you put them on your phone? Are they in your head? Both. I put them on my phone. I usually have the biggest goal, the big screen. Um, your I, home screen is your goal to remind you. Well, yeah. That's a good idea. There was a, I had a great one, but uh, I won't, I won't get into it now. It's about, about getting married. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, so I'll tell you the story very quickly. So back three years ago, I was in France, two and a half years ago, I was in France with my now fiance, Adrian. We were sitting looking over this lovely little river and there's a beautiful chateau sitting on top of the hill that we had visited and we thought it was very special. And I took a photograph behind Adrian of the chateau in the background overlooking the river because my goal was to one day get married there to Adrian. So it took me about a year and a half to kind of pluck up the courage, but we nearly got married there. So you were taking a sneaky little shot sneaky. that she didn't know about. Well, she probably knew about it because it looks like she's po- she's posing a little bit, but yeah, uh, and she obviously saw it on my phone. But you had more intention behind that photograph yeah. than maybe she knew about at the exactly. time. Exactly, I do believe that you know, seeing that thing visually or having it written down daily, you know, so- something that I see constantly like that, it really happens for me when I do that if I if I see something sorry if I want to achieve something I have to write it down I have to see it and it has to be repeated numerous times otherwise I do forget I fall off the wagon if I'm if I'm not doing that so is it like this whole thing about you know act as if just keep going at you know pretend it's actually happening yeah I do believe not I've read a lot of the books around it and you know everything from the secret to mm. what Tony Robbins and Napoleon Hill speak about and if you write something down, if you if you conceive it in many different ways, as in believe it and, you know, what's it going to look like? What's it going to smell like? Where will it be? How many people mm. will be there? What do you want to achieve? The more you do that, the more it feels real to you. And, you know, at first when I started reading into this, I went, this sounds a bit wacky, but let's give it a go. And everything in my life that has happened like that has definitely manifested for me writing it down, for me seeing it and for me like visually feeling it, all that sort of stuff. Well, I know it was probably the courage of youth and maybe the recklessness of youth, but quitting your job and starting up your own business quite suddenly is an exact example Mm -hmm. of that kind of manifestation. You could have sat there all your life thinking about one day I'm going to start my business, but by actually doing it, you kind of pushed yourself into it, didn't you? Yeah. Um, and it, it sometimes you just have to trick yourself into something, just jump. Yeah. And then, you know, find out. And, and that's kind of, I'm a bit loose that way. That's been my mentality with projects. When people ask me, can you do this or can you take this on? I'll say, yeah, and then I'll come up with a way to do it. So that's how you do it. So when you're working with clients, how do you communicate that self? Same thing. Have you a couple of examples of clients that have done brilliantly? Yeah, I think the big thing is to find out the kind of, person you're dealing with because it's not a one size fits all so Mm. I'm not for a second a life coach I have done a life coaching syllabus to a course before and found it very very interesting 
But it's very important to find out what motivates people, if it's in kind of an external or internal thing, if it's a short term, long term, if it's visual, if it's, you know, if, it's a, if they want to feel better or they want to look better. And, and once I can kind of find out what, what kind of drives them and what motivates them, we start to put things in place, whether that's a screensaver on your phone or whether that's journaling every day or whether that's just how I communicate with them and how they communicate with themselves. So they understand that they feel better. People are driven differently. So to give an example, I have one client who's getting married and she um, you know, would speak very negatively about herself and not being where she wants to be with her weight, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So instead of you know letting her jump on the scales to weigh herself and letting her do all that stuff, you know, right, get your wedding dress, get it fitted on. You know, She didn't want to do that. She was nervous around it. Get the wedding dress fitted, take a photograph, and then I want you to visualize how you're going to look when you're in that wedding dress and it fits you. And that's going to be your motivator. Nothing to do with the scales. Mm, visualize mm. that every day. Have a picture of it on your phone so you see it in a safe little place so your husband doesn't see it or fiance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that, that was a big turning point for her. And that's how we got her to kind of start. I think there's a switch for people. They, they, you know, they feel stuck and nothing's working. And there's the kind of why me and this is my bad luck. And then when you find that switch and you can you can flick it over, it's a case of keeping that momentum because it's, it's, you know, you really gather a lot of momentum then and it's, then you just need to keep feeding that good wolf. But it's also yeah, exactly what you're saying. I think it's also getting to the stage where sticking with something, whatever it might be, long enough until you start to see a change. Yeah. And then you're on the pig's back. Then you can, you can see what you're doing. There's momentum. You can see that it's working. Of course. And it's about just putting one foot in front of the other. And mm. it's, you know, running a marathon. How do you run 40-something kilometers? Well, you just run it one at a time. Mm. Or you run 500 meters at a time. You don't sit there going, oh, my God. If you could see that kilometer, that finish line 40K away, you'd never do it. You know, when you break, and it's like big goals you want to achieve in business or big goals you want to achieve personally or dropping weight. It is about the little small things that you do daily and the little small steps that you take repeatedly. And how about your corporate athletes? Because these are the people that want to perform in the boardroom. How do they set goals or how do you work with them so that they can see that actually by remaining healthy and fit and eating the right stuff that it's going to have a, a good knock-on effect? Yeah, well, a lot of times they're actually quite easy to, to motivate because they're self-motivated people and they're very driven and if you talk about performance in the workplace, if that's a big piece, but it, it's not always. Sometimes it's about, well, look, if you want to be the best dad as well as, you know, the senior partner in a place, then you got to look after yourself. And that's why you need to hydrate better, sleep better, not eat this, not eat that. Um, the biggest motivator is, again, coming down to kind of numbers. And they, they tend to be quite competitive. So once you put a little competitive fitness piece in place, it, it, it the work is kind of done then, you know, they'll want to row faster, run faster, lift more, whatever that is. So for one person, it might be their wedding dress. And for somebody else, it could be a speed on a rower over a certain amount of time. Exactly. Yeah. And for the other person, it could be a scales reading or a body yeah. fat reading. Well, you know, interestingly, a lot of people, and I tend to find this more female clients, they love a new skill. They love to accomplish a new skill. Skill. So it could be doing, a, it's called a skin the cash, where you go upside down on the rings and then spin back around. So if you're working in a very high stress, very life is very serious environment and then you're put up in a set of rings and you have to do go upside down and it's amazing to see the kid come out in very serious women and um, <laughs> once they start playing around or like try to get your first handstand, try to do a cartwheel. And um, these sort of skills, which I would have gotten from my CrossFit days, when you apply them, when you start giving you, you know, a bit of play to people, that can be the biggest motivator of the lot to achieve something like that. 
And actually, it's far more fun than trying to lift a piece of metal, isn't it? Well, for, for I, I don't think Not so. Not for but everyone. For, for some yeah, people, they, for, exactly. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about the Unsung Heroes of Success, which I know that you see as sleep and stress management. Mm-hmm. How do we try and corral them? We need to, well... When I started in the industry, it was all about water. If you're not drinking water, nothing good happens, and that is true. But I think even prior to that, you need to be working on your sleep. And it's very easy for me to say I don't have kids coming in and jumping on top of me. But if you're not getting the the adequate amount of sleep that you need, your body needs to recover, there's no point in layering intense training onto it. And if you're not sleeping well, there's a very high chance that your digestion is going to be off because they go hand in hand. So it doesn't matter what you're eating. If your digestion's off, your body's not absorbing nutrients. Your body may be getting bloated from foods that should be healthy foods. You may have anything else going on. So when it comes to stress management, you need to start with the sleep piece and you need to see why you're not sleeping and and invest in, in that a little bit and spend some time there. I actually was at a great talk with a, I'm going to say he was the head of the neuro neurology department, perhaps, in the Matter Hospital. Uh, and he spoke about, he's, he essentially was saying, if you don't end up in my ward, the couple of things you need to work on. Number one, no food after seven. Number two, a healthy diet. Number three, exercise. Number four, sleep. And number five, laugh more. I thought they were very simple things that, you know, there's a huge percentage of the population and now neurodegenerative disease is a, is a huge part of our lives and we're hearing about people with dementia and Alzheimer's and it's, um, you know, it's it's type 3 diabetes and it's all this sort of stuff. So I think staying on top of your nutrition and your sleep definitely it's, is the key to managing your success, managing your stress, mm-hmm. okay? So stress then, when we talk about it, people associate stress with, you know, a deadline in work and that's kind of the biggest stressor most people talk about. But, you know, there's underlying stresses that we're not even aware of. There's chemical stresses that we're putting into our body. There's chemical stresses that we're breathing in. There's chemical stresses that we've taken into our body years ago through medications and stuff like that that may be causing problems in there as well. And our bodies, if if there's a stressful situation going on, whether it's a chemical stress, a physical stress, or even an emotional stress, our body deals with it the same way. There's the exact same stress response. If that stress response is ongoing and not dealt with, symptoms will arise in our bodies. And symptoms are, you know, unfortunately, everyone has a, a pill they're taking for this or a cream they're taking for that mm-hmm. or autoimmune disease for this or a thyroid problem here. These are all symptoms of chronic stress, prolonged periods of it that we're not dealing with. Dealing with it is, you know, recognizing that the stress is there is the first step. Dealing with it then is, is a rabbit hole that once you get into, you know, you can you can get a little lost and that's where I'm spending a lot of my time now and where what's kind of where my passion is going with that now um, is, is looking at these stresses and seeing how we can help people overcome certain things they have going on and how we can try and prevent these stresses manifesting in other ways because if you keep putting a plaster over something you know to echo James Diggins' words what we resist persists so it will keep coming out and you know these, these symptoms tend to manifest then and in, in, unfortunately in disease down the road that causes kind of long-term health problems which comes back to your acid test if you're not training. fitness if your training is suffering it's because of something else exactly exactly and if you know and i mean when i sit down with someone to assess them at the start or even to meet them you know i'm assessing them from when they walk in the door and you know the color of your eyes and you know how you carry yourself how you talk your handshake your skin, all these sort of things. Our, our body has given us a thousand red lights to say, mm. slow down, stop, change this. We just keep continuing to ignore them. And unfortunately, you know, people come to me because they want to lose weight generally or come into us 
and the weight is one of the many symptoms that I think need to be addressed. So you have to think holistically around that and you have to think about, you know, again, have a long-term approach because if you don't and you just try and drop the few pounds for the mm. wedding day and then get back into the old habits, unfortunately, there's going to be some more stuff coming in the near future for you. The nice positive words there, John. I'm sorry. <laughs> John, are you, have you, now, so let's name it. Are you working on any goals at the moment? Yes, I have a number of goals. The big one is to plan a wedding next year. Mm-hmm. Co-plan a wedding, um, but I want to run. I want to compete in an Ironman. I'm hoping for next April. Oh wow! Yeah, that'll work well with the wedding planning, won't yeah. you? When's the wedding going to be? June. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be very buff by then. Yes, even buffer. Okay, before my last question for you, quick fire round. These no. questions came in on Instagram, right? Okay, so quick answers to each one. I've got maybe eight or nine questions. Que- there are a lot from females to be able to tell which. Question one, are carbs bad? No. Why not? There's a place for carbs. It depends on the type of carb and it depends when you take it and it depends on your goal. So I can tell you now the answer to every one of those questions will start with it depends. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll try the next one. Why do some online trainers say no need to do cardio on their programs? Because they probably don't like cardio themselves and they know people dislike cardio so it's an anchor to drawing new business. Do you need to do cardio on programs? I believe everybody needs to do more aerobic work, yes. Okay, great. Um, How do you fit in your own training when you're busy coaching so many people, John? Schedule it in and if I miss that appointment, I get very angry with myself. So do you put it into your phone? I have to. I have to put an appointment in. You know, at times there have been weeks that I've missed my training every single day. So I have to put that appointment in because I'm just not happy when I don't exercise. And do you train on your own or do you train... With your team? I, oh no, I love training with other people. I love getting in and having a chat and having it thrown, lifting some weights and doing a bit of aerobic work or going for a run or going for a cycle or doing a yoga class. I can train on my own, I don't mind it, but I love training with generally my family and friends. And do you still devise a program for yourself? Yeah, at the moment, well, my brother Liam is actually doing my programming at the moment. He's doing a lot of our online stuff. He's helping some of our clients out with that. So he's put together a really good program for my ski season, which is coming up. Uh, nice. Yeah, so that's uh, that's where most of my training comes from. Cool. Um, what should I do on my rest day? Rest properly. Go for a massage. If you've had a big, tough day of training, loosen out your body, get your food in, get your hydration right. Make sure you're rested and re- recovered for the next cycle of training. Okay. Is working out seven times a week, so I presume the person means daily, too much, even if I balance between resistance and cardio days? No, I don't think it is. But you must be getting your sleep and nutrition right. Okay. Best tip for muscle recovery? Oh, good Epsom salt bath. Top tips for those who feel demotivated and like they've put on weight? Start by just putting one foot in front of the other. You just got to get yourself moving. When your body starts moving and starts feeling good, you'll crave that some more. So it's if you're still struggling, get someone who's going to keep you accountable, whether it's a trainer or a buddy, something you have to commit to. Once you get two sessions under your belt, you're going to start feeling the difference. Brilliant. Last question. I'm seeing a lot about sea swimming. Why is that? Is it good? I think the Instagram pictures are great. I think that's a part of it. Okay, but yes, maybe that's why they're seeing a lot about yeah, it. Cold water therapy has many benefits. Um, I mean, you could argue that the toxicity of the RC isn't necessarily great for you, but the cold water therapy is lovely. It's very rejuvenating and you know natural minerals from the sea. So I think people are craving, craving that and pulling in, pulled in by that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I think it's the Instagram pictures. Okay. <laughs> and my last question for you today, John, you know, all in all, 
when you look back on your life, and I know you've an awful lot of living left to do, but what would you like your legacy to be? My, I'd like my legacy to be that I change as many people's lives as I could for the better. I genuinely believe that. Um, and that I've made a con- contribution to families around the world, ideally, that has them eating better, that's preventing them getting sick and help them live a larger life as such with, with more quality in it. Brilliant. So, John, thank you very much. And um, thank you for letting me ask the questions today. Some brilliant answers. Um, I'm going to hand the podcast over to you now. And I'm really looking forward to hearing all the success stories that you get out of people. Thank you very much. 